I'm Sarah Gloss and welcome to This Week of A Bro's Guide to Glitter. Today we'll be talking about 11-time Grammy Award-winning feminist music icon Taylor Swift. We're going to talk about her progression through different genres, her Netflix documentary Miss Americana, and the way she stands up against the misogyny she experiences. For today's episode, I have invited a Taylor Swift fanatic. He's going to be the one educating me today. He himself is an excellent musician. We both go to NYU and met in Tish's musical theater department. Please welcome Canadian legend Sean Manucha. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So, Sean, when did your relationship with Taylor's music begin? Well, I remember when I was a kid and it was back in the day when you had to buy a song for a dollar and 29 cents or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. song on, on iTunes and me and my brothers we all had the same iTunes account so whatever music my brother downloaded was also on my iPod and I remember that he bought an album that I was gonna have to listen to on my iPod and then he was like uh Okay, fine. For you, I'll put on You Belong With Me. And he put on Single Ladies for me as well. He added those two songs <laughs> to our iPods um, to appease me. So I, that's like the first time that I had ever like downloaded a Taylor Swift song. And, and I feel like that's when I kind of recognized her as a celebrity just because she's been famous for so long. But that is like the most distinct moment. But then I was never really, I was always aware of her music, you know, listening to the hits across all the albums. And then when I watched... The documentary, and then over COVID. Yeah. Uh, I watched the documentary during COVID on Netflix, Miss Americana, and it really changed my perspective, and I gave a, some songs new listens, and I listened to Folklore, and I was like, oh, she, can, she knows what to do when, when she picks up guitar. Yeah, I also, like, my, I first listened to Taylor Swift in like probably first second grade you know because i remember i remember like my friends introducing fearless and her ep to me you know and i didn't have those as full albums but by the time speak now came out i like begged my mom to buy the album and we listened to it in the car but like as soon as she started like sliding into pop i started dropping off with it like, of yeah. course, I listened to uh, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, and uh, I Knew You Were Trouble When You Walked In. Is that the name of the full song? I Knew You Were Trouble. Okay, okay. I was about to say, that seems like a long title, but okay. I had listened to those two songs from Red. But then I was, like, starting to get into musical theater, and so I was doing the whole, I don't listen to pop music. <laughs> yeah, because musical theater is so, it's such an elevated taste. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> wow. Because it's not like other people listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, kind of same thing. I like loved the country years and then kind of like dropped off, but like still knew she was a famous person. And then 
with like Taylor's versions of stuff coming out recently. You know, obviously there's been this whole revival amongst Taylor with like my friend groups and then doing this iPod, uh, iPod, this podcast, a lot of people wanted a Taylor Swift episode and then I reached out to you and then you recommended Miss Americana to me and after watching Miss Americana, I had the same reaction. I was like, oh, oh shit, like... She really is, you know, incredible in ways I didn't even realize. And I, after that, I watched the Disney Plus uh, folklore recordings. And I was like, oh my God. And, And the way that, like, it interweaves between her, like, talking with her collaborators and producers. And the imagery is just, like, so peaceful. Doesn't she just seem so mature and beautiful in that documentary? Yes. It's, it's such a stunning, stunning thing. Yes. Like, I think what makes Taylor Swift interesting from different, like, singers, like Cardi B, for example. I love Cardi B. I'm a big fan of her work. But, like, Cardi B, like, you know she is a celebrity because she's, like, in her interview, she's, like, big, she's boisterous. She She's a very funny gal, Uh, And she always has, like, a great outfit. But with Taylor, who's an even bigger celebrity from Cardi B, she's, like, what you're saying, she's, like, mature. She just seems like a real person, and it's crazy. I think the difference there is almost that Taylor Swift sort of grew up being famous in a way, because... You know, our song, or whatever. She she was working in Nashville writing songs when she was like thirteen or something. So yeah, she's been yeah. a professional musician forever, and um, I think not that she's not concerned about her fame and her celebrity, but she sort of has learned to appreciate more human, more grounded experiences in life. Yeah, and not that Cardi B hasn't, but yeah, um, Taylor expresses this and talks about this a lot in her music and in interviews and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly she's kind of at the stage of celebrity that I feel like Kanye is at, where Kanye's like, well, that's, I mean, I just thought of it, but like I'm thinking about like the way certain celebrities retreat into like rural parts of America and get like their compounds and get kind of like their private life in order. I feel like that's too. Yeah, that's like that's like when I, I've seen pictures of like Beyonce riding a bike in the Hamptons, and I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, Beyonce riding a bike. I have failed to consider that that's something that celebrities do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's your favorite album? Wow, um, I I feel like I really, they're all musically and in style, they're all so different from one another. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, oh my god, this is so hard. But I, I really like um, the lyrics and the storytelling of Folklore and Evermore. Yeah. But I, lo- I love the happy-go-lucky, you know, teenage expression of fearless. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I love the optimism, not the optimism, but like the, the tone of that album. Mm-hmm. I love the... Um, like the textures of repu- and the production of reputation. I don't know. I, I I like I think Lover is so funny and silly. I don't know. I re- I there's not one that I listen to more than others really. Yeah. So, I'm sure it's uh out of the question then to ask for a favorite song. 
Ooh. What I'm gonna do real quick? I'm gonna look at my most listened to songs. Um, I, I don't know. I really like. Oh, I think it depends on the moment because sometimes, sometimes, depending on what I'm going through, I listen to um, songs more and more when I can relate to them in that given moment in my life. Yeah. So um, there was an era when I was really listening to Cardigan and that was striking a chord with me, but I haven't really been listening to that that much these days because I'm kind of in a happier place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I really like uh, a bunch of stuff. I'll say right now it's probably um, Invisible String. Mm, yeah, I get that idea of different times in your life. Right now, I'd say mine is Wildest Dreams. Oh, I've been listening to that one. It's the Taylor's version. It's so cinematic, that song. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I didn't even realize this was the same thing with me. I didn't, I didn't realize that Wildest Dreams was Taylor until like like a month and a half ago what? when I just suddenly was like I was like listening to it on TikTok and then I suddenly was like wait a minute I think that's Taylor's voice what you didn't know that that's Taylor's I didn't for some reason and so with me I didn't know that me was written by Taylor until watching Miss Americana <laughs> you didn't know that was Taylor Swift no and I was like oh I already like that song and it, you like me I like me I'm so glad Indeed. I like me. I like me. I like it too. I mean, I had, I will say that, I don't know, when it first came out, I think it's this. There's like a lot of pop songs that just like, I don't know, come out and all sound like each other. And so you can't really distinguish them. And so I feel like that's me, uh, in my opinion. I don't like all of it. I don't like the Brendan Urie feature. Mm, part and really? I, I notoriously don't like the bridge and Joel <laughs> Little, the producer of that song, is so funny to me because he produced, um, I want to say all of Pure Heroin, but I don't think that's true. A lot of Pure Heroin by Lord. Uh-huh. I don't know if he produced all of it, but he produced like Ribs and like Royals. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so funny to think that he produced those songs, and then on the to me the total opposite side of the pop spectrum, he produced me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so funny. And it's interesting how, like, also another person who works with Taylor and Lord is Jack Antonoff. Yes. Yeah, and he also works with Lana. So it's... But I think it's funny because me and Royals are such different songs, but then you look mm-hmm. at what those what those two artists, Lord and Taylor, have been, produ- have been writing now. Yeah. And you can kind of see that there's a lot of similarities. Like, if you listen to like stoned at the nail salon off of uh, Lord's new album, Solar Power. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't hear Taylorisms, but you hear like a really clear sense of storytelling and imagery. Not that she didn't have that before, but then the musical style production that Jack Antonoff is doing kind of parallels some stuff in Taylor's songs. And, and Taylor's song Gold Rush on the Evermore album was produced by Jack Antonoff, and it's the same chord structure as Green Light by Lord. Yes, there is a very obvious, like, convergence to folk indie that, like, female pop artists are doing today, and we're definitely gonna get into that. I have so much to say on that. I'll I'll save it. I'll save it. Okay, okay. So let's start with playing a word association game. So I'm going to put 15 seconds on the clock, 
And in those 15 seconds, you're going to say every word that comes into your mind when you think of Taylor Swift. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. I'm nervous, but I'm ready. <laughs> Don't be nervous. You'll be fine, okay? <laughs> All right, go. Okay, I'm going to say blonde, cats, millennial, um, guitar, um, uh, audacity, um, that's it. And, ah, that was so stressful. That was pretty good, though. I mean, you got, you know, guitar, obviously, teardrops on my guitar, and she's a guitar player, and she's, she's a weird big, millennial. Big, that, okay, that is an interesting thing, that she is a millennial. My, I know, my, my, my sister-in-law is a millennial. Mm-hmm. And not that they're similar people at all, Taylor Swift and my sister-in-law, but um, <laughs> it's so funny that you can just p- draw the parallels of, like, their millennialisms, like, you know, yeah. the way they dress, like, the striped shirts and the skinny jeans and, like, toms or, like, yes. or van, like, flats or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's with millennials, I think it's this also, is that, like, as Gen Zers are becoming famous with like Olivia Rodrigo and Lil Nas X, people our age, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have their own distinct style, which I feel like is very out there and colorful. Uh, But then with millennial famous people, they still kind of dress in like the 2014 autumn tumblr girl style yes so true so true yeah 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 crazy and i do forget how like old taylor is because of course she's been famous for 17 years it was more than half of her life yeah 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 and so it's you know it's almost like, like she's almost like a parent to us but at the same time she's like a decade or less older than us. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, to catch everyone up, Taylor Swift is a singer-songwriter who started her career when she and her family moved to Nashville at age 14. Her first album, which was Country, came out in 2006 when she was only 16 years old. At this point, she was the youngest person to ever write and perform a number one country song. She was the youngest person ever to receive the Horizon Award, which is the most prestigious award in country music, and she was even on the Country Legends mural for a couple of years before being replaced by Brad Paisley. Her other two country albums were Fearless and Speak Now. Then she started transitioning into pop with Red and 1989, uh, was fully pop for her album Reputation, remained pop but started dipping into indie elements for Lover, and her last two albums, Folklore and Evermore, were fully folk indie. She's won 11 Grammy Awards, three of which are Album of the Year, an Emmy Award, 11 VMAs, 12 Country Music Association Awards, 25 Billboard Music Awards, she's sold over 200 million records worldwide, and she's had an album stay number one on the charts for six weeks straight which is something that only the Beatles have ever done. And she's done that for four albums. So, she 
totally goes through a bunch of different genres. Which of these genres are your favorite, Sean? You know, what's so funny is that across all, how many, nine albums, mm-hmm. um, it's not, to me, yes, you can feel the changes in who she works with and her collaborators and everything, but there is something so constant and consistent about her lyricisms and the way she writes mm-hmm. that something from reputation doesn't feel totally foreign to something off of folklore because mm-hmm. if you extract just the words you can hear you know reputation though it's a pop album there are metaphors there are similes there there is there are you know lyrical effects that take place and it's and it's not all about the production and the melody like it's still very much in the taylor sense very lyric driven pop which is a separate class of pop for me than um a lot of other pop in the world because a lot of other pop really focuses on production and having um, and, the, and the value of rhyme and how much that and repetition and how and how much that um, is significant to consumers wanting to listen to the music um, and Taylor of course is concerned about rhyme and, all the, and getting people to listen to her music mm-hmm. and getting to people to keep listening to her music but there is a sense of authentic storytelling that is consistent across all of the albums. But, so it's, it's, it's hard for me to pick one genre because to me they're not all totally that different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and her, her take on pop is very unique to me because it's still, it's really, really storytelling driven in, in a way that Olivia Rodrigo has adopted in her way because she's a you know an outspoken Taylor Swift fan herself mm-hmm. um, and that's a unique thing I think of course there's um, storytelling and, and beautiful lyrics in let's say Billie Eilish's work and let's look at her song Your Power which is a guitar song and it feels you know not too foreign to the folk indie genre um, uh, it's a different type of storytelling that uh, yeah Taylor Swift I don't know. She uses the genre to tell the truth of the experience. Mm. And the albums and the songs on the albums are very specific things. And so the and the contents of the album to, that's a good thing that I just said is that the contents of the albums to me are more different than the genre changes. Yeah. Because the content of reputation is much more different than the context of content of folklore though and production wise they're very different but lyrically they're not they're not distantly related. Yeah, that's a very good point because certainly yeah, the country albums are when she was like in high school and she talks about those high school relationships and high school friendships and football team and cheerleaders and then her pop is very related to her fame and her issues with that and folklore and evermore is you know in written in a pandemic moment and talking about her private life and relationships that we didn't get to see in the media and i think her use of the genre um is what 
helps her tell the story. And I also think it's interesting that you're saying that the country Taylor was very high schooly because when she brings back the country sound with the harmonica and the guitar on Betty on the folklore album, mm. that song is about a high school um, relationship. It's like a, mm. it's not, that's one of her non-biographical, non-autobiographical works. Uh-huh. Um, so it's interesting how she brings back the country sound to bring back a high school story. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, everything you say about, like, her storytelling, it makes sense, like, how she started off as a storyteller in, like, the country genre. And so it makes sense that she should then settle in so well with it, with folk. Because I think that when she released Folklore, I was, like, pleasantly surprised. Well, not surprised, but, like, I was like, ah, full circle. Because even though obviously folk and country are different, they're still very they're very connected. They're very connected exactly. lyric in, in the lyrical um, ways. If you think about yes. like um, like a Casey Musgraves country song, mm-hmm. and you compare it to a Joni Mitchell folk song, you know, there's they're not wild. They're different genres technically, but they're not wildly different and lyrical style and subject matter and content and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that she should be doing this, as you said earlier, at the same time as Lord. And uh, even Lana Del Rey has been branching off into folk indie with her new albums Chemtrails Over the Country Club and Blue Bannisters. So how do you feel about this general move towards folk with yeah i i have i have thoughts first of all i want to say that re lord she was getting i saw a lot of discourse on the internet of people really not liking this this transition mm. and i when i was seeing that i was like are you are you guys stupid because you're con- <laughs> once again we are confining a female pop star to one genre and we yeah. all know how how badly that went for taylor swift when she was confined to one one image and one style and it's so unproductive to do these things. These are artists. These are people who have full licensing over their over their abilities, over their uh, songs, and they have, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. And they've reached a point in their careers where they are able to afford to write whatever music they want. And I think we should let them because that is how genres deepen and we think and we get to think more things and there's less repetition in the world and there's less redundancy so i was i was i was so frustrated at the at the discourse around lord not being a pop star anymore i was like no she's still a pop star she's still it's not like she didn't write green light and ribs and royals or whatever it's just Uh she's branching out but also to me having written songs myself there was an era when I was writing more pop style songs and then I transitioned naturally into more of a folk acoustic singer songwriter vibe. Mm-hmm. And to me, I did that just because it felt more truthful at the time than pop. So for these artists who again have full licensing over themselves and their abilities, it's probably just feels more truthful to them in that moment than writing something like Roar by Katy Perry. You know what I mean? Cause that just, yeah. feels... and I think, I think the dis, no offense, Katy Perry, I hope you're not listening to this, but I think the extent <laughs> of her career is because pop as a whole has had a huge transition. And I think yeah. though it was not started by Billie Eilish, I think Billie Eilish did a lot of the moving 
and and, mm-hmm. and her and her brother Phineas, I think they kind of created, um, uh, or they gave way to a more intimate sound of pop. We real we realize that we don't need the maximalist production, yeah, in order to have a hit record, you know. Yeah. And I think and I think it's happening. I think that sort of. I think I think Billie Eilish's year, the year of Billie Eilish, twenty nineteen, <laughs> was um, really transformative for pop music as a whole. But then also, obviously, there's still like the other side of pop with like Doja Cat and stuff, which is kind yeah. of maximalist in production. But yeah, if anything, it, but there's a distinction between those two styles of pop now when there used to not be one necessarily. Yeah, yeah. If anything, now it's the like you said, it's the minimalist. Taylor Swift, Lord, and then the maximalist Doja Cat, and I would also argue Lizzo and Cardi B. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. And kind of what's influenced more by like folk, and what's influenced more by perhaps R and B. And I think the pandemic also it changed the way I think about music. It changed mm-hmm. what I wanted to think about when I think about music because during the pandemic, I was thinking about lyrics a lot more than I had ever had. Also because I was like growing up and I had, you know, I was turning 19 or whatever and I was like becoming a smarter person. But, um, um, I think that I was focusing more on the lyrics and it, it mattered more to me. And I think they, they began to matter more to people. And also there wasn't like, I loved Dua Lipa's album, Future Nostalgia, which came out yeah. also, like, right before the pandemic or something, or, like, right during the pandemic. Um, and that's a dance album when nobody could dance. And that was still fun in a different way. It was nice to feel excitement. But more often than not, in the early days of the pandemic, I want I was not there. I was, I was laying in my bed or going on a walk, and I wanted to listen to something that was pleasant. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I think that with, I think that with Taylor's, wide range of genres if anything it makes her be like you're able to listen to taylor at any moment whereas like you talk about how you that's true that's that's a really good point yeah like you say you found people online who you know were like oh you know now lord's not a pop singer which like so you know these people lose a couple followers when they change genres like that's that might make sense. I can see that. I can see as genres shift, like the losing and gaining of followers. Obviously, as soon as Taylor released Folklore, I started paying attention again. But, you know, with with having multiple genres under your belt, you could listen to Taylor in a happy moment. You could listen to Taylor in a sad moment. You can listen to her on a rainy day. You could listen to Taylor at a pregame. You could listen to Taylor while you're crying in your bed, which is which is a really nice thing. Exactly, exactly. And you also talk about this idea of like these artists having licensing over what they make themselves, and the idea of like having to appease audiences or else getting like stuck in a box. And I remember in Miss Americana, she talks about like female celebrities basically dying out 
before. I think she says something about like a, a graveyard. They get tossed to the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That like with female celebrities, their career ends fast. And the only way for their career to keep going, even after they're past their like prime of youth, so to speak, is to keep changing their image. Yeah, which is a lot of pressure when you think about Taylor Swift, who to me, for her, it's always been about the music. Yeah. You know, and so it must be so incredibly frustrating have to do having to do the, all that superficial, not superficial, but all that image-based work and commitment to the aesthetic when at heart she's a songwriter. And you know what's so funny is Taylor Swift was called to jury duty and she went and they asked her for her profession and she didn't say, which is so funny because it's like who doesn't mm -hmm. know who she is. Um, but in her response, she didn't say pop star or anything. She wrote songwriter. She said songwriter, which I think is uh -huh. just so telling that to her, it's just always been about the words and the music. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, even though she's, like, so super famous, it's not about the fame. Which I think you definitely get a, a, a sense of, I think you really begin to get a sense of that on the Reputation album, mm -hmm. which is about... Um, her boyfriend Joe, in in some senses. Her current uh, boyfriend or her? Yeah, it's her current boyfriend okay. Joe. Um, you get a sense that like in King of My Heart, that song she goes, "We're drinking beer out of plastic cups, something, something, and all at once, this is enough." You know, she's saying like, mm -hmm. she she is, it's sort of like a a reckoning with the realities of being a human first. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I do think that that is a lot more relatable than pop songs that are about, you know, the fame and the limos. and. That's why I can't listen to that. I have a really hard time listening to music about that, that talks about, you know, how, how much money you have or whatever. And I, yeah, I, like those lyrics in particular, I'm like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I I, I, I I can't relate to buying gold chains and uh, a Lamborghini or whatever. That's like that's not something I, I personally relate to. I rel and I connect more to as a lot of people do. I connect more to music that's more connectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that there's something that's. Like, uh, I think that a lot of the singers who sing about the fame and stuff, I think they do it to appeal to people. Like, yeah. I'm thinking of the the lyric in American Boy by Estelle featuring Kanye. I, I, love, I love that song. I, I keep, like, referencing Kanye in ways that, like, he's not... He this has is not the podcast... He this is a, not the podcast to be referencing Kanye. I know, I know, I know. And we'll get to Kanye later and why this isn't the podcast to be <laughs> <in> Kanye. <laughs> but I think of the lyric where he's like, oh, Estelle, I can tell you don't care about my fame. And I know you're deeper than that, but I still have to like rap about fame in this song because people like to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, we talk a lot about Miss Americana. Can I, wait, can I pause just to say I'm so happy to yeah, be here? Yeah, go ahead, go I'm ahead. I'm so happy to be here, is all I have to say. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. I love talking about those things. Go on. Thank you, thank you. I'm very much enjoying this. Me too. So, so we talk a lot about Miss Americana. And a lot of Miss Americana, I mean, you still, you get to see her working as an artist, you know? We get to see her collaborate with Brendan Urie and Todrick Hall, and we get to see her infuse her messages and what's important to her in her music. But then we also get to see a lot of the misogyny she's faced. Mm-hmm. There's our things that are inherent to mass fame, like invasive fans and paparazzi and Fox News and Nikki Glaser kept making comments that Taylor Swift seemed annoying just because she was a beautiful, successful woman. Right? And uh, then all of this, like, intense body criticism led to her having eating disorders for many years of her life and there's just so much to talk about in depth. She's vilified for her breakup songs. You know, she had to bring her sexual assault case to court. And, of course, the whole Kanye situation. So let's start with the breakup songs. Uh, you know, what do you think of them? Which do you listen to? Do you have any favorites? Um, you know, it's so interesting because I, I hate the discourse when people say... XYZ album is a breakup album. You know, yeah. it's a breakup. It's a breakup song. It's a breakup album. Like that c- category, or like people saying like Adele and Taylor Swift only write breakup songs. I'm like, they're not. Not. No, I'm not trying to like correct you right now, Sarah. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But to me, they're not breakup songs. They're songs about like just like a feeling and truth in that moment. Like yeah, you know what I mean. Like she's not trying to write breakup songs. It's just the emotions she was feeling strongest at the time or the emotions she felt needed to be expressed at the time. Yeah. So that's how I feel about them. Um, agreed, agreed. I love... I don't listen to the song that frequently because it really just takes me to a place, but Dear John, love Dear John mm. on yeah. this album. Um, I... How Can You Not Like All Too Well. Mm-hmm. And they're not even breakup songs because they're... they're okay. It's more like we broke up and then like now here are my feelings. Yeah, I feel exactly. like it's valid. A breakup song would be like I don't want to date you anymore, Sarah. You know, like that <laughs> that that is like a breakup song. <laughs> but like if you look at all too well, what is what is this piece of music a representation of? And that song, it's on the red album. Yeah. Is, um it's a representation of what you're left with. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's not a breakup song. It's a what you're left with song. And it's a, re- it's still a representation of love in a way, you know, yeah. it, 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 it is, uh, it's a, it, it is a love song, even though it's, a, yeah. even though it's about the end of a relationship. Yeah. You know? and, and so I think changing the one's perspective on what these songs are is really crucial to, respecting Taylor Swift because saying breakup song is so minimizing of what they actually are. You know, Cardigan, you could call Cardigan a breakup song, but it's not. It's a representation of, again, what you're left with. You know, chasing shadows in the grocery lines. Like that song gives me, that bridge of that song like gives me chills because I'm like, it's so visceral. And it's so funny also, sorry, 
I love Cardigan. That's another one of my favorite break, quote unquote, breakup songs. But my favorite, I was listening to another podcast about folklore, and they were talking about the one, and um, the song called the one, and I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't though, and they were like, Taylor Swift doesn't fucking take the bus. But like maybe she does. But like maybe she does. But even even if she doesn't, that's a representation of something else. Yeah. So to me, I always think about what is. What is the song representation of? What feeling is a representation of? How can you connect to that feeling that she's trying to represent through music? Yeah, that's a very good point because certainly, like, I have, I've developed playlists for, like, okay, here's my mad playlist. Here's oh, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But not all, like, kind of like what you're saying, every sad song, it's not like, meant to be sad it's not like about being sad it's about something else it's and about yeah, it's about for in a, take a breakup song it's about the fact that love once existed yeah connection yeah, yeah. once and we talk about this in acting school in freshman year mm-hmm. whenever you're singing a, a song about you know you know let's take i don't know a song uh let's take um the day uh till the days go by or something it's a stephen sondheim song yeah um that is not a breakup song and you can't and you can't successfully perform that song without thinking about the fact that at one point in time there was a very real love connection it's not a song about hatred because nobody would want to listen to that or people would but not in that it wouldn't be right for that moment you know yeah yeah well and because you do bring up a good point that i i do feel like when people talk about like taylor swift's breakup songs i think it's interesting because when I tried to think of them off the top of my head, I honestly think of more non-breakup love songs, like quote-unquote love songs, than like breakup songs. Like I think of Love Story and like You Belong With Me and Tis The Season. Well, I guess Tis The Season is maybe a breakup? Like it's a, it's a we've been separated song. Yeah, it's about, I, it's, Kind of, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the like breakup songs that like, when people on MTV are like, eh, Taylor Swift writes breakup songs. They're talking. It's just a lie. Yeah, yeah. They're talking. I feel like about Dear John and Back to December, and then like. And then it's like, have you never felt sorrow? Yeah. Like if you could write song, if you had the funds to write songs about whatever you want. And the, whatever you're feeling at the time, you're telling me you wouldn't write a single song about an old love. Yeah, and because then what is, like, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac? Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, every single artist, male and female, sings about, like, their emotions, happy or sad, sings about... Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley did that. Elvis Presley, he didn't really write a lot of his songs, but a lot of his songs were like, yeah like it's easy for you it's li- like literally it's easy for you is like i left my kids for you and then you dumped me crazy yeah. crazy that people should and of course like the sad thing about this then like the idea that taylor swift is only good for breakup songs it's led to, you know, obviously there was an Abercrombie and Fitch t-shirt that was, let's see, it said more boyfriends than TS. 
And then there was all that public. I got to talk about this. Yeah. I got to talk about this. I abhor, abhor, whatever that word is. (laughs) I, the more boyfriends than Taylor Swift thing. And she says in her Vogue interview, in her 73 questions interview, Mm -hmm. she gets a question that's, if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self something, what would it be? Or your 19 year old self something, what what would it be? And she said, I would tell myself, you're going to date like a normal 20-year-old girl, but you're going to get a lot of shit for it. Mm. So just prepare for it. And it's true. Yeah. You know, bitches go on dates. Everybody goes on dates. Yeah. You know? And, sorry, I'm, I'm cursing a little bit, but. Um, of course, of course. Um, it's an explicit podcast. We did R. It is such a woman thing as in a, a tool for people to attack women yeah and it back to um forever it's like the female it goes back to just like the overall female hysteria phenomenon that mm-hmm. has occurred forever sarah gloss i took another class with the professor that you have right now yes yes i was about to say i am taking a class from a professor at nyu his name is alexi Grinenko. He's an awesome professor. The class is Feminism and Theater, colon, Performing Hysteria. And Sean, you wrote a paper on Taylor Swift in his other class. I wrote two papers on Taylor Swift in this other class. Wow, look at you. And it was called Musicals and Madness, right? Uh, Yeah, Madness and Musical Theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and it goes back forever, the the sense of... it's quote unquote hypersexuality is yeah. craziness or a negative thing. Um, when in reality, it's just natural human expression. And again, confining anybody to any image of what they're quote unquote supposed to do is so problematic because it will. Is so damaging for that person yeah. to be confined to something, especially with a completely organic biological thing that humans are meant to do, experience um, attraction. Yeah. Like, that. that is such a human thing. And also, you're telling me that that's okay, but Snoop Dogg's song... Um, sorry, that isn't okay, but Snoop Dogg's song, It Ain't No Fun If A Homie Can't Get Some, is okay. Yeah. Because he's a man. You know what I mean? I I love Snoop Dogg. Mm -hmm. See, Snoop Dogg. But that song song I always think about, and I'm like, if a woman ever wrote that song, like, and a woman kind of did when when, when WAP came out. Yeah. Um, and the backlash that received, and I was like, men have been singing songs like this since the 80s. Like, like, come on, like. Don't attack Cardi B for doing, you know, it's just, it's just a women and sex and, 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 and I wrote about in this paper about how women yeah. are supposed to know everything about their sexuality because there's, you know, you know, you're supposed to be like good and bad or whatever, but you're also supposed to, you know, uh, you're supposed to know everything, but you're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to acknowledge the fact that you know everything because it's like, how did you learn everything? Mm. You know, like, what have you been doing? She yeah. criticizing you for your fooling around, so. It's the Madonna whore complex. Yeah. Except you have to somehow be both at once. Yeah. 
And and I think what Taylor does, looping this back to Taylor, mm-hmm. or what she's done in recent years, is she's... And a lot of female artists do this, where they just embrace this. They reclaim their sexuality through their work, through their costume, whatever, mm-hmm. in a way that is empowering. You know, you look at Taylor Swift and you see that she's wearing a tight... Um, I always forget the difference between a leotard and a unitard. Um, I do not know the difference either. um, But she's wearing, you know, a pop star outfit that's like, you know, low cut to her upper thighs. Yeah. But it's not in a way where she's trying to uh, attract male viewers. It's a way that that is what she feels good wearing when she is performing in a way. And like, and it's much more, it's like the, the, uh, in my paper, I called it embodied femininity. I got that from a, a JSTOR article. I don't remember which one. But that's what they, they, they refer to that um, and, and, and reclaiming um, aspects of femininity. Yeah, I do feel like... Because I do know that she like refuses to take part in photo shoots that will overly sexualize her. And that's why we haven't gotten any like photos, I guess, of her like side boobies or her in like, you know... A bikini, but I do feel like what you're saying with her um, concert attire being, you know, technically revealing, but not like too sexualizing. I like that a lot because, yeah, you know, she looks really great in it and she looks, you know, like sporty for the stage. Right. And she looks kick ass and ready to go. And it's kind of. It's adjacent to an article I was reading when I was doing research for uh, the Barbie movies episode. I read an article talking about the fact that in uh, the Barbie mermaid movies, the, like, characters who are mermaids are wearing, you know, like, bikini tops. uh, But the bikini tops don't show any cleavage, and they're just kind of, like, straight block lines, and the cover, like, the tails like cover their belly button and so it's like even when barbie and because barbie movies are like four little girls so they're not like meant to be like sexual for guys because that's um because their main target demographic is younger girls and so it's yeah it's like meant for like girls like it like girls enjoy you know wearing a crop top or wearing short shorts but yeah it doesn't have to be sexual and, um, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, as much as I was saying earlier that it is about the music for Taylor, at the end of the day, she is a pop star. Yeah. And so what she chooses to wear, you know, she's performing pop music and what she chooses to wear is also just appropriate for a pop star performing pop music. It's just like, you know, it's not like it's yeah. incredibly inappropriate clothing. Like it's, it's absolutely she hits it on the head every time when yeah. it comes to what she wears in her concerts, I think. Yeah, it's part of the genre. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So let's, so we didn't mention her sexual assault case. So I'm going to give like a little background for it. So if any listeners, you know, want to just skip the background, uh, probably skip like a minute ahead. So basically in 2013, Taylor was at a meet and greet for a concert and a local DJ, David Mueller, had groped Taylor uh, during a photo op. 
and, you know, she immediately told her security what happened, and uh, they kicked him out of the event, and he actually got fired from his job. So in 2015, he sued Taylor $3 million for defamation, and he said, you know, he didn't grope her, even though there's literally a picture of Literally a picture. Literally, and he's looking straight into the camera and smiling as he does it. It's very obvious. Uh, so she countersued him for $1, and she won. And Times Magazine named her as a silence breaker in 2017 and made those silent breakers the person of the year. So I didn't know this was going on at the time. Did you know? No, I, I, I didn't really know that this was going on at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I only learned about it from the documentary, actually. Same, same, same. And I feel like it's interesting that we should hear, we should, we didn't hear about this instance of justice when so many other female artists who haven't gotten justice, like Kesha, like, I mean, I don't know if Britney is like an assault survivor, but certainly, you know, Britney is a victim of other things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we tend to focus more on female artists not getting their way and kind of losing. So it's, but it's great that she did win. Yeah, it is. And I, and she talks about it. If you watch the Reputation Stadium Tour, which is also on Netflix, um, before, oh. before she plays, I think it's the song Clean, which is from the 1989 album, um, which is about, like, you know, being clean from something or someone. It's, um, the rain came pouring down when I was drowning. That's when I could finally breathe. And by morning, uh, gone was any trace of you. I think I'm finally clean. Um, yeah. And she talks about what that was like for her. And she says, like, I think she, she references how she's had a privilege during that case because she's Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, she had people on her side. Part, she kind of says, like, a lot of people were on my side when maybe they wouldn't have been because she, she doesn't directly say that, but it's kind of, like, implied. Um, because she's Taylor Swift. And she says, you know, like, imagine if you weren't. Sort of, sort of thing. She says, like, something, imagine, ima or, like, imagine if there was no photo. Ima because, like, that photo only occurred because she's Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. imagine if there was no photo proof, what would have happened? And so many people don't have photo proof. Most, yeah. more often than not, there isn't photo proof. Um, and, yeah, I just think the whole thing is so, I can't believe he had the audacity to sue her. I, I, wow. I every time I think about that, I'm like, there is a freaking photo of this taking place, and you can see your hand up her skirt like it, it is it is disgusting this man is disgusting for that yeah like she didn't she didn't like yeah she told security you know like hey this guy groped me but like that's what you do with you know anything or like well i mean we don't like it's the minimum she can do is what i mean to say you know and uh she didn't like go to the police and say hey this man stuck his hand up my skirt you know she like she just had security kick him out. And then yeah. her security team told his employers, like, hey, this happened, and this is why we had to kick him out. So his employers fired him. Like, she didn't reach out to him personally. He reached out to her. 
and then like tried to take her for her money's worth and she like she didn't even like the fact that she countersued for one dollar i think is really representative of the fact that you know it was not about any kind of money it was not about any kind of damages other than saying like no 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 let's get this very clear and like like let's just represent justice yeah yeah so how would you summarize the whole Kanye situation? Okay. I meant to say this earlier, but I forgot. Yeah. I personally am way more concerned about her music than I am with her personal life. So I forgot to say that earlier when I was talking about her boyfriend. I don't I don't keep up to date. And, and even if she wasn't in this long-term relationship right now, I would not be keeping up to date with who she is seeing and isn't seeing. Like, that, yeah. that, that doesn't really concern me. I don't really pay attention to, like, the thing that's like, oh, my God, like, Taylor's seen in Wales or whatever with her boy. I don't, I don't, give, I don't really care about that stuff. So, I mean, I didn't know she was dating a guy named Joe till... I knew she was dating someone and she was keeping it, like, private. But I didn't know his name was Joe or... Yeah, it's less private now. But, um... um than it used to be, but it used to be pretty private. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, not as big of a celebrity at all. Um, so it is, it's, they're able to be a little bit more private about it. But anyways, but Kanye, the Kanye thing is different because it was directly tied to her music and his music. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that... What does it say about an individual for them to rush onto a national television, um, nationally aired award show, to rush onto the stage, grab the microphone, and say something at all? What does it say about that person that they would do that? Yeah. You know? um, and then when you think about like what he actually said about Beyonce and then whatever. Yeah. Do you want to, like, rehash for the listeners who might not? Oh, yes. So in the 2009 VMAs, Taylor Swift won Best Video for Love Story. Kanye West rushes the stage, and in his classic 2009 Kanye, like, haircut, whatever. (laughs) Um, And says that Beyonce should have won for Single Ladies. Um, And by the way, Taylor was 19 years old. Yeah, 19 years old. And, And... and when you, aside from what Kanye was doing, when you think about Taylor Swift as a human being and saying that she didn't deserve an award that she just received, if somebody at my high school graduation came on and said, Mm-mm, he doesn't deserve his diploma or he doesn't deserve the English prize or whatever, I would have been like, what are you doing? Like, that makes me so sad if you're saying that I don't deserve it. Like, I worked, you know, no, you know, obviously Beyonce is a whole other, she's so talented, she's so amazing. Yeah. But to just have those words said to you on national TV that you don't deserve the award that you just got, that would be devastating. And Taylor Swift talks yeah. about in the documentary how people were booing Kanye, but she thought people were booing her. Yeah. Like, wow. And then, I don't know, because this was so long ago, people don't know what, and we and I was personally eight years old when this happened, so yeah. I didn't know, and I didn't know what Twitter was or whatever, but Kanye did tweet that night about what happened, and he tweeted something along the lines of, Sorry, Taylor, like, I, you know, like, I just had to say what, what I was thinking about Beyonce. Sorry, like, 
I hope there's no hard feelings or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that did... Uh, that doesn't change the fact that he did that. And yeah. then, and you can tell that that wasn't genuine because of everything that ensued in the following decade between them. Yeah. You know I mean? My brother always said, you don't apologize for something unless you mean to not, to try not to do it ever again. Yeah. And so that was an authentic apology because he absolutely came for her in 2016. Yeah. As soon as you said that, like, he tweeted an apology, I'm like, oh, his, like, publicist told him to do that. Yeah, his pub, like, yeah. Or, or or the mass amounts of negative feedback he got for doing that, you know, told him to do that. But, you know, he still did it. Like, that, like, come on. So, yeah. so it's just, that's frustrating, whatever. Yeah. And I do think that he, he came out with, like, a pro-Beyonce mindset. Like, he probably wasn't thinking, like, oh, I hate Taylor. He was probably, I I mean, in... A that's, like, what the tweet was about. The twi- That's what the tweet was about. He was yeah. like, I don't hate Taylor. I just thought Beyonce's video was better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, obviously, you know, as you said, everything he did that was so anti-Taylor later. And he, in his song, Famous? Famous, was- yeah, Famous. Yeah, he says, I have the quote right here. In it, he says... Uh, he, he, he's has the lyric, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. Which is such, such an incredibly sexist line. Mm-hmm. And though it's like, you know, that song is kind of crazy, but it's so sexist because it's implying that Taylor Swift owes Kanye gratitude for the way that changed her career. When you think about it, it's like, uh... Actually, funny you say that you're making her famous because she was literally winning award at the, an award at the VMAs. So she was already famous. She was literally winning an award for best video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, where would Taylor's music, what would it look like if that had never happened? We will never know. So it definitely impacted the trajectory of her life, but it is yeah. so, it is so diminishing of her own hard work, which is such a classic thing that happens. Yeah. Um, and and the the incorporation of sex. Yeah, it's just that that makes that is so ironic to me because Taylor Swift gets so much criticism for her boyfriends, but Kanye West is literally saying Taylor Swift wants to f me because yeah. or she should f me because I made her famous. So then it's like, which way do we want this? Which yeah. Way, how how how. How are how are we controlling women today? Yeah, yeah, literally. And even the reference to her, like even just saying bitch, like calling her bitch. So like, misogynistic. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, like, you know, I use bitch in like other terms and, you know, bitch. Yeah. But like calling someone, calling a woman a bitch, uh, even when I catch myself calling a woman a bitch i'm like whoa whoa and so then when you see men like genuinely calling women bitches you like you get a little shocked you take a step back yeah and it is definitely weird to consider because i actually feel like i've been listening to i don't listen to like a lot of kanye uh but i have been listening to more songs like 
in the past few years recently, but not even his recent songs, like his old songs. I'm starting to, like, gain appreciation for that. But um, I think that it's also weird to look at in light of everything we're learning about, like, his mental health and, like, the fact that we, obviously at the time of, like, the VMAs incident, like, we didn't know he was, like, bipolar, you know? And, like, if that had... And I have a feeling that now, like, I, I think his people are keeping a tight leash on him. Oh, yeah, way, way more than, than before, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder how... I wonder how, like, that would have been affected if, like, he had been on a tighter... On, like, a, that tighter leash back then, or... Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's so funny because there are two sides to every story. I feel like your listeners are going to think that I'm, like, I'm only seeing Taylor's side to everything, and, I, and I'm refusing to see other perspectives on the matter, and that I'm just, uh, whatever. Well, but, I mean, simply debate and perspective, you know? Tis like... But, yeah, yeah, but... And you know, I don't think Taylor necessarily. I don't. I don't think Taylor is perfect. I just really admire her music. Yeah. Um. But. Let's just say. That there is no better comeback to the hashtag Taylor Swift is over party trending on Twitter than making three hundred fifty million dollars doing a Reputation Stadium tour. Like, there yeah. is no better comeback than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gro- grossing $350 million, but still. Yeah. Certainly for all of, you know, everything that's been thrown at Taylor Swift. And literally, like, when you watch Miss Americana, the sheer amount, the sheer amount. I mean, I knew, like, I had kind of known about all these things in high school. Like, I wasn't following it, but I had kind of, like, I knew... When Famous came out, like, I knew that line was in there, and, you know, I had... And the music video, have you seen the music video? I have, I have, which that's obvious, it it includes, like, a naked uh, wax figure of Taylor Swift, and that's gross, Um, but it's like, you hear about all these things, but kind of, like, because I wasn't, like, a Taylor Swift, like, devotee, I just kind of let it pass me by, but obviously I didn't know about like the sexual assault case or like her eating disorders. And so like watching Miss Americana, you really just get like a buffet of like misogyny. And like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and one of the papers I wrote last year, I was talking about how I think because of her roots at, from writing the Fearless album and her debut album and Speak Now, which is again that high school country vibe. Mm-hmm. I think her roots as that and the name Miss Americana, that identity. Yeah. And if you look at her, she's a white girl from Pennsylvania and Tennessee with blonde hair. And you're like, okay, she she is representative of a big portion of America's youth of, you know, white girls mm-hmm. um, with, you know, whatever. And so when she sort of deviated from the what is what is traditionally thought of as the the proper quote unquote proper trajectory for a white girl in America, um, 
that's when she begins receiving hate because it's like, what are you doing to our daughters? You know, like, are, 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 are all of our white daughters this sexually active? Are all of them quote-unquote bitches? Like, you know what I mean? So any, any deviation from the traditional perfect American girl really gave her a lot of backlash. And it's I think it's just because her identity is so tied to that and that was a huge part of her fan base was white girls. Um, and... Yeah, it's really just about the deviation from the traditional sense. And yeah. and and um and then if you look at like reputation, that song, the criticism it got at first or not at first, but the criticism it got, it was like, "Oh, what is she doing? This is so not the t- this is new Taylor, like I don't like new Taylor or whatever." Again, it was just she deviated. And so it's like and the same thing this ties back to Lord and the solar power. It's like any deviation pe- people can't ju- people just can't take it. Yeah, well, and if anything, Reputation is, like, her revenge album. Like, it has blank space where she, like, talks about, like, the misogyny and, like... Blank the- space is on 1989. Oh, thank you, thank you. Is, is, but look what you made me do is on Reputation, yeah. right? But, yeah. But blank space is very much the... I listen to this other podcast called, um... It's called Ringer Dish, and they talk about, you know, one of the things that, when, when they talk about Taylor Swift albums, they go album by album, and it's a great podcast, and they say, one of the questions they ask is, what is one song that sort of, like, is the teaser for the next album? And for me, off 1989, it's Blank Space, because Blank Space really leans into Taylor Swift making fun of her identity as a crazy, crazy quote-unquote bitch. Yeah, uh, yeah, because in that album, like screaming, crying, perfect storm, whatever, I can make all the tables. Love that song, and then that kind of is to me is the teaser of the next album, and and it yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because Reputation, it has the look what you made me do. It has the I did something bad song on it, but then it also has, dress, which is such a sexual song, and so that in itself is also deviant, and the, and 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 um. Yeah, and, and it's so funny because it's a revenge album, not just at Kanye, but sort of at this whole identity of her as the perfect American um, girl, which which she really had to do because when she was being labeled as a bitch by Kanye or whatever and by the internet, mm-hmm. she deviated even strongly and really leaned into that in the same way that she reclaimed her sexuality with the... Uh, with her concert attire, she reclaimed her ability to deviate. Yeah. She leaned into it. Yeah. And certainly, like, going back to the idea that, like, when she's talking in folklore, she just, like, appears very, like, calm and mature. I mean, obviously, it's when, like, artists are in that, when she was in that reclamation phase, like, obviously, that was, like, really fun to see. But, like, seeing her like kind of out of that reclamation phase in my eyes and like going back to the like you know storyteller folk roots like just because i see folk as parallel to country like she seems she, she seems very uh herself in the way we were talking about whereas with you know when she was in her country phase like yeah she was like you know that's similar she was giving off like her base vibe like the miss americana vibe 
But it was, you know, she was a 16-year-old who was, like, building up an image. And she talks about how because her country following was based, she was, uh, like, suppressing her politics and, you know, trying to not uh, offend the conservatives. She was trying to, I think it's funny to phrase it as defining her image when I think more so it is defining her audience. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an important thing for pop stars in general to do, to yeah. establish their audience so that they can do this. And 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 in the way that she, in the way that Taylor Swift in particular established her audience, it became the like I'm just like you, I'm just like any other girl from Tennessee or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. And now I do feel like she she really is, you know, like just like any other girl and you know, uh like calm, mature, very, very smart, very kind. So well read. Uh, yeah, but not uh but not necessarily appealing to anyone. Or at least not like trying to pander. Which is so refreshing for a pop star. Yeah. To, to see a pop star really connect with themselves. You know, it's very refreshing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we get to a very special segment of the podcast called Convince Chad. So imagine this. You're walking through Stern School of Business and you're in the elevator and you see two bros from Lambda Chi Alpha. And (laughs) you hear one of them say, Taylor Swift, she sucks. Why do people even like her? You are enraged. You take your mask off. I'm enraged. Indeed, you throw your iced coffee at them. (laughs) And now, in Chad's language, you must convince these two guys why Taylor Swift is worth all the hype and success. I'd say, yo, I think you should give her albums a second listen, bro. Because those lyrics are realer than anything you're doing in Stern. <laughs> Though that's kind of critical of Chad. Yo, bro, I'd, I'd say, yo, bro, no, no, no. Next time you're pre-gaming, throw on Reputation. It'll fire the boys up. It'll fire the boys up before they got to go, before they go to Bar None <laughs> or Josie's. That's what I'd say. Josie's Club. I'd say, just throw it on. Next time you're sad... Your girlfriend cheated on you with some other guy from Pie Cap. Throw on folklore. <laughs> you might learn something about yourself, bro. Uh, too good. I I think Chad's convinced by that. Chad's convinced? Chad's convinced. I did it. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for being on this week of A Bro's Guide to Glitter. Of course, Sarah Gloss. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep it fresh, listeners. Bye.